Are you up to date on your MCU? I am Groot. There, you know, you know everything you need to know. Basically, I am Groot. Live from the Mundangerous Greenhouse in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 339 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing plant creatures. But first, the party dreams apart in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Groot makes like a tree in the Character Creation Forge. All right. Where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in the Shadow Marches, at the Gate of Wind, the party is trying to stop the quarry from unleashing the Chaos of Zoriad onto the Material Plane. And the Gate of Wind is finally established. And in the dream space, the long ago war against Zoriat has been won. But then, the entire scene melts away. Lenore the Rogue stands alone in a desolate field, mere yards behind a prowling dragoon, the emblem of her dragonmarked house, the Rashk. It spins, turning its lion face to fix its eyes upon her. It roars and chills her blood before it pounces. Instinctively, she throws up her arms to shield her face, and its jaws clamp down on her forearms, crushing flesh and bone. When she snaps back to reality, she looks down at her arms, which are now clad in a fine set of bracers, crafted of dragoon leather. And she gets bracers of dead aim, which are bracers of archery, but they also give a damage bonus. Zan picks over the dead on an unfamiliar battlefield. Out of the corner of his eye, he spots a solitary warrior whose face is obscured though he can make out pointed ears and a slight build clad in silvery half-plate. In one hand, it holds a weapon he knows well, his own glaive. In the other, a thin metal scepter that pulses with power. He tries to bring it into focus, but the figure levels the scepter at his face and unleashes four bolts of energy that slam into him mercilessly. He awakens from his reverie, clutching the same item. It's a Rod of the Pact Keeper plus one. Across a gray, desolate wasteland, a gorgon, the emblem of House Caneth, stamps its hose as it slowly circles Decimus. The Caneth artificer is confused by the creature because its hot breath flickers like flame, not the typical poisonous gas, and its metal hide is far thicker than the usual, composed of plates that overlap like armor. Fascinated by its flaming breath, he does not dodge it as it charges him, and it tramples him into the ground. He awakes lying on his back with a heavy weight pressing down on him. His arcane turret is sitting on his chest, but as he reaches up to move it, he notices a small charm tied to his wrist, and the turret belches a gout of flame. And later he finds it is a charm of arcane blasting, which lets the turret become a flamethrower. Silence lies heavy upon a forest clearing where Warden stands across from the Prince of Unfortunate Truths. But the Archfey's face has been replaced by the shaggy snout of a wolf. As Warden watches, it morphs into a scaled snakehead, then a bird's beak, a horse, an elk, an eight-eyed spider, and a slit-eyed cat. It is the bird head that draws his eye, and the prince shifts back to that form before lunging forward and pecking out the druid's eyes. When he opens them again, he touches his neck, where a cold carved amulet is now fastened. 
and Warden gains an Insignia of Talons. Which is attack and damage bonus while in animal form. Mm -hmm. That's true. Monoclass. The way they're meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm an animal, I can't heal you. Which I think maybe was your reason. (laughs) And as the ancient dreamscape of the old war fades away, Bramble, the bard, finds himself in a wide glade. The sky is striated with dream stuff, and no animals make a sound. Across the clearing, a huge treant slowly opens its eyes to stare down at him. Two branches lower to reveal wide fists. In one hand, it clutches a blackened branch that burns with cold fire. And as it opens the other fist, an unfamiliar song fills the air. It grows louder, blocking out all other sounds, and pressure builds in Bramble's head. His nose begins to bleed. When it feels like his head is about to burst, he blacks out and awakens back at the Gate of Wind with the melody of a new spell in his mind. He learns an extra bard spell to be determined. As Bramble looks around at all the treant guardians at the Gate of Wind, he notices that they are oak trees. But the treant from his dream, he realizes, was a pine. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we continue our long-running series on playing non-human characters. What do you need to know to do it? What should you think about when you're planning this character or playing this character or interacting with the world and other characters? And I think plants are interesting because they are different than almost any other species or, or race that we have talked about before because they're not alien. They're not even necessarily magical. They're not plain touched. They're not artificial. But at the same time, plants are still more distant and foreign than a lot of the kinds of creatures we talked about, certainly more than like anthropomorphic animals, right? Or fantasy allegory races like elves, because plants have different physiology. Elves have lungs and breathe through their noses and eat with their mouths and digest and poop and breed in the same way that humans do. And plants don't do any of those things. So you just cannot take for granted most things that seem really natural for humanoids. And of course, apologies to all the botanists and mycologists out there. We, just like pretty much every game out there, are going to be conflating plants and fungi. Uh, Not because we don't know the difference, but you know, when you have a spell that could summon only plants or only fungi, I, as an optimizer, would prefer that it do both. And if that means that we need to blur the lines between these kingdoms, so be it. Uh, First of all, I only use spells that summon fungi, so that's just a personal preference. And second, I accept your apology. Are you which? Are you a botanist or a mycologist? Uh, I, I mean, (laughs) I when you study biology, like (laughs) it's all of the above. Like you, you spend a lot of time with botany. Like it just plants have a lot. Plants are a lot more interesting than animals. Honestly, you're not wrong. Um, like and so like and a lot, just a lot of like, especially early biology is all like plant based. In most of these series, we're talking about like dwarves or halflings, right? But plants is obviously a very large umbrella, right? So they're much more than a single species. This 
episode is going to cover a wide range of creatures and a wide range of like interpretations of these kinds of creatures. Like there's not even a term that I could, that we could put in like the title of like, Hey, here's what we're talking about. It's just plant creatures, right? You've got your treants and your myconids, which of course are fungi already. We're crossing, we're crossing the streams, dryads, which are fae and wilden and leshies. And, you know, like in some interpretations of Arthurian myth, the green knight is a plant dude, you know? Star Wars has Zelosians. Like, they're everywhere. Uh, you also have your magically animated plant matter or your evolved plants or uh, an avatar of nature like Swamp Thing or, I suppose, in some ways, 40K orcs. I mean, if we're talking about funguses, right? But I think, like, the the important distinction here is they are individuals and they have sapiens. So these aren't, you know, mindless twig blights or, um, you know, cordyceps zombies from The Last of Us. Right. If you want to know how to play those, then that'll be in our How to Use Monsters series. This is player characters, essentially. So plant creatures, creatures made out of plants, people made out of plants are an extremely common moti- motif throughout human history throughout folklore, right? They're usually a representation of nature or rebirth or or some version of that. And that's interesting when it comes to thinking about your interpretation in your particular game and in your particular setting, right? Because you see that connection between the the plant creature and nature almost like almost necessarily. It it, it is extremely rare not to see that when you're talking about a plant creature. But it's not like plants are any more or less dependent on nature or representative of nature than animals, right? It's just sort of the role that they've been assigned. And it's that's both positive and negative, right? It's something you can lean into, but you do not need to be shackled by that. But if you do move beyond that, you are going to run into literally like people at the table who start off confused. That's not necessarily bad. It's just something to be aware of. Well, now I'm confused as to how how animals are not more dependent on plants than plants are on animals, <laughs> on on nature, right? Like on on like you know the all oh, the the plant creatures in touch with Gaia or whatever, right? Oh, sure. Like, okay, great. The the cat folk should be at least to the same extent. Yeah. If if we're really like getting into it, right. but that's just not the depiction. Uh, okay, so what are some reasons to play plant creatures? Well, lean into the, lean into type, right? Maybe you want to play a character who is tied to nature. If you have, you know, leaves sprouting out of your ears and your skin is made of wood, or, you know, you have bark and not skin, then everyone is going to get that. You don't need to say anything. It will telegraph it. You might also want to destroy nature. The The, the natural, like way of things is that cycle of death and rebirth right and so you can easily be the death side of that cycle as well yeah the blighter is a common archetype the the nightshade creature right the not swamp thing specifically but like the swamp creature right is is nature it's just not the fun happy side of nature if you uh, want to destroy something, you must endeavor to understand it first, which of course, Shane, is why you studied biology. <laughs> yes, I wanted to destroy biology. <laughs> that was only by the end of it, not going in. That's why I just 
studied organic chemistry so that I, I could end all all bonds of all kinds. Yeah. Also, you <laughs> severed your bonds to your your high GPA, huh? Uh, yes. I, yeah. I, well, can you sever that which never existed? Oh right? man. The mm. thing about OCHEM two is that they expect that you learn how to name things in OCHEM one. It makes it a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> then I paid mm-hmm. attention. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. just being graduated along. Okay, great. Uh, my favorite reason to play Plant Creature, or I've talked about this before. Currently, I am playing a Fungus Lashy in our Pathfinder Two game. Um, you want bizarre physiology, and like, okay, are are plants necessarily more bizarre than? than humans humans are weird but when you come from a human or humanoid perspective plants are so weird and you can do so much cool fun stuff with that and i think along those lines you know you also get to view the world in a unique way right plants uh have a have a life cycle that isn't dependent on nearly the level of like motility that animals do the the entirety of plant species is designed to slowly transform their environment to what they need to thrive um, but to endure long periods where that environment is actively hostile right which is just very different from animals who tend to leave or die the sort of like in-game example that sort of gets to me is like a real selling point as an optimizer for a plant creature is okay if you are in a dungeon and the room fills up with water, like maybe you're amphibious and you're fine. Maybe you can hold your breath for an hour and you're fine, but if not, probably you die. And I guess, so it's not a spoiler. I won't say what the adventure is, but there is a 5e adventure where that happens, but it doesn't fill up with water. It fills up with wine. (laughs) So it doesn't matter if you're amphibious, you still drown. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But a plant creature can be submerged in liquid for days and probably still survive. <laughs> sure. So like, you'll be all right. Everyone else will be dead, but then I'll just eat you. I'll, I'll feast on your corpses. That's why I came sure. along. Don't mention that to the plants in the Gulf of Mexico after the uh, deep water horizon spill, but sure, yeah, no, plants can completely ignore liquids. It well, <laughs> If it filled with crude oil, then yes, probably the plant is also dead. Uh, and then I think the other thing is you want to play a fern out of soil. See what I did there? Uh, oh, no, um, no. But to your whole point, oh, like, okay, like, the plant usually stays in one place, even more so than like hobbits, right? Um, your world is a glade, probably, you know, depending on like exactly how you manifest or as a creature or whatever, right? But Exploring the really, really, really wide world is probably a new experience, or certainly you can play a character that is having the newest experience. All right, let's talk about plant creature physiology. I think physiology is the place where you can really lean in to do the weirdness, to do the differentness, right? Because the physiology is so different. Like just the very first thing, think about like those scenes around the campfire. There's so much material to do like you well first of all you probably don't sit too close to the campfire do you (laughs) (laughs) you are slightly more flammable than your average fire fire neighbor i'm not a i'm not a dried stick 
come on, that's a common misperception that I would be more flammable. I am filled filled with fluids. But do you need to eat the food that is passed around? Do you need rations? Do right. you need special rations, right? Like um, Pathfinder 2nd Edition has bottles of sunlight as rations for plant creatures. That's fun. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, they're expensive, which is not fun, but it is It is fun. And, you know, well, the first thing I was thinking was, oh, I will not eat this. I will save this for the vampire that we meet, obviously. <laughs> right. But I've had bottle of sunlight sitting on my character sheet for nine levels, and I am going to use it. <laughs> also, I have wooden stakes built in, so... <laughs> Right, you are <laughs> add vampire hunter to the list. Um, oh God! But like, like, I think you can you can like really lean into. I don't eat food. I don't need to. I don't. What is eating? Right. I sit in the sun, and and what is the mentality that comes from? I'm not a carnivore. I'm not an herbivore. Uh, I'm. I don't need to hunt or gather. Food comes to me. Food. I think of food the way that you think of breathing, right? As something as of air. Like it's not a thing that needs to be pursued. It just happens. And how does that change your mindset about need and want and stillness, you know? Along those lines too, right, is is, is respiration, right? Um, you know, as you alluded to, there are plants that are aquatic uh, and and do, you know, breathe, I suppose, underwater, um, anthropomorphically speaking, but you also have plants, you know, the majority of which that we're familiar with will, you know, quote unquote, breathe CO2 and, and emit oxygen. So your, your respiratory cycle is reversed at best. Props to any GM who actually brings that up as like, like finds a way to make that a weakness or like finds a way to like bring it up in a particular session or a dungeon or something. But Again, when you're thinking about the mindset and the mentality of sitting around that campfire, is air fresher around you because you're giving off oxygen, maybe? Do you feel, even subconsciously, a symbiotic relationship with all of these creatures that are likely breathing in oxygen and expelling carbon dioxide? Mm -hmm. Does it smell nice, actually? Because <laughs> they're making all of this right. delicious CO2. And speaking of which, being in the forest, does it actually kind of suck here? <laughs> sure. This isn't necessarily the case, depending on like what kind of plant you're playing. But in general, uh, the the trope is that your plant creature is hardy, right? If you're a tree person, you have bark. Um, lignin, in general, you are tougher, um, and not and not necessarily just tougher, but like you know, lots of plants could exist in the vacuum of space for at least a, a while, you know? So environmental hazards take on um, a different urgency, usually less. Although to your point, forest fire could be a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, th then hardiness is not just in like the toughness of your bark, right? Like the other piece of it is just like the regeneration, mm -hmm. like the natural regrowth of plants, right? Is that like, as long as you have resources, right? Like you should regrow. Um, as long as you're not starved of, you know, food, water, and uh, sunlight, like a, a plant will regenerate a lost limb. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I mean, you're now having me think about like, I like the idea of maybe an NPC where it doesn't sort of affect your day to day, but like of the same species or whatever, right? Who has been 
nearly cut in two in a battle. And like that doesn't kill you, even though you have like this gash in the middle that sort of separates your body into two trunks, but they've just sort of closed up. And now you have, you know, two trunks. <laughs> and now you're you're a, a tree folk Eton. Yeah, right. <laughs> um I, I mean, you know, the other the other piece of this, speaking of Ettons, is the the sensory elements of being a of of being a plant, right? Because plants don't, um, frankly, don't tend to have sen- naturally sense sensory organs other than sensing sunlight and water. Um, but you know, there's a there's also an element to that of like you don't necessarily have the same attachment to a limb. Right, that uh, that you know a, a regular animal would have first because you regrow it, but also because you don't have the kind of acute nervous system that's going to you know have that pain, right? Like pain is a is a almost like a simulated construct for a plant creature, right? It's a way of of uh, like anthropomorphizing <laughs> rather than like a sensation that you expect to feel because plants don't have nervous systems, right? Like they don't have that type of acute feedback. Their feedback comes in the form of like, is this overall environment healthy rather and, and supportive of me rather than, you know, has a, has a, a, a deer come by and cracked one of my branches. Right. Yeah. Like if you lose a, you know, quote unquote limb or the thing that you use to hold the sword, right. In a battle, does that bother you really or or can you think about losing a branch as a humanoid might think about losing a fingernail or yeah. a hair right like yeah thing, things that actually need like a lot of plants need to be pruned or prefer to be pruned right to have things cut back um may, maybe like it's totally fine like that is not a setback to you you can grow it back you can grow another one or you know you have seven more where that came from there's also like a minimum amount of anthropomorphizing that's probably necessary just to play a plant in as a character in an RPG. Like it is probably assumed that like you quote unquote see things and hear things, you know, like you're able to interact with your environment in a way that most plants are not able to, right? You can locate the enemies and, and all that kind of thing. So like, how are you doing that? Are you just hand waving it? And it's like magical or whatever. Like we don't, pay attention to how my leshy is doing that. My leshy doesn't have eyes, but it also doesn't matter, right? Cuz it's just it's how is how is a giant mushroom walking around like who cares, but you know, also if anyone dies, I will eat the corpse cuz that's what I do. Um so then the the last bit of physiology, right, is obviously plants uh have very limited motility, right? So what is your form of locomotion? Um, that might be in the form of like, you know, ants, uh, like literally standing up and walking with two trunks for legs. Uh, it might also be that you are stationary, but you are planted in something that is mobile, right? So you can have a, you know, a magically floating flower pot or something. Charles Xavier. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is Shi'ar technology. My, oh, okay. My flower pot. And also now I've built lasers into it. So, you know. Well, I mean, once again, 
you're probably more of a fire hazard than I am. So good luck. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of a a tumbleweed character who probably feels different from a normal, like isn't rooted, right? Has a different outlook, but like just kind of rolls everywhere. Just trying to see what I can see. All right, let's talk about culture. And I think this is probably going to depend on the type of plant that you are. And, you know, what you mean by type totally is up to you. Uh, like, do you, are you an oak and oaks are your kin, but, you know, pines are not, and like, that's really important to you? Or is it all trees? Or, you know, is it about size? Or, you know, is it deciduous versus evergreen? Or, or is it plants versus humanoids? You know, like, what, what is your, what is your culture? Who is, who is your kin? Also, what seasons do you experience? Do you thrive in? Do you endure? What is your latitude? Like, what, how temperate uh, is your environment? Yeah, like plants don't need to be bound by our ideas of species, right? Which is fuzzy logic anyway, right? Maybe it is these seasonal things that are much more important. And then when we talk about culture, you know, think about what kinds of humanoids have your people had contact with. You know, as a, elves have always lived in your branches, then, you know, maybe you have a much more elfish culture or there's some there's some reflection of that but you know g give a thought to i think more than other races that we've talked about you're you're going to be either deciding that you do have a thing or you decidedly do not have a thing so like religion is is there a deity for your people and if there is then you know you have a chance to like really define what that looks like or you know the culture becomes defined by the lack of that and perhaps even a complete inability to understand what that would even be or like why other cultures have that. Sun God. I, I do like a, a Ra-based religion for, for a lot of plant people. That would be cool and fun in like a Stargate-y way. Well, the sun is so important to plants that animals worship it on their behalf. <laughs> so like... It's a pretty important thing. Mm, mm, mm. All right. So then how do you fit into and um, what is your relationship with the wider world, right? Are you, by virtue of being a plant, more sheltered than most? Are you more traveled because you've, you know, drifted from glade to glade and forest to forest? Yeah, like like we said before, you have this opportunity to play the cloistered of the cloistered, right? Someone who has absolutely no understanding that the world could be different and now here you are. Or at the same time, like maybe you're comfortable in any forest that is similar or as long as there are pine trees, which is all over the world, then you also feel comfortable or, you know, you're, <laughs> you're a fungus and, you know, you have 23,000 different sexes. And and so like just your people seem much more varied than anything out here, right? Like who, who are your kin? Are you or people like you common? I mean, I'm saying using the word people, but you know what I mean? Like, are you common? And that doesn't mean do other people, like are, are people surprised by seeing you? I think in general, probably they will, will be surprised do you feel like you are common or your people are common? And then the flip side of that, 
how do people respond to you, right? Like humanoids respond to you. Do they recognize you as like, oh, you're, I mean, you're a walking, talking pine tree. I I recognize what you are and I see that. And how does that comport with how you see yourself? Are you a, are you a pine tree or are you a totally different thing? And like pine trees that don't walk around and don't talk are like completely different from you. And it's like an alien thought that a human was a cat because, you know, you have the ba- same basic biology. I, in fact, oh. am a cat though. That's good to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This whole time, we've had more than one podcast. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've really got to contemplate this shocking revolution. Um, I need to eat some tin fish. So, <laughs> okay. I think we both have important things to do. Uh, let's talk about uh, interactions between plant creatures and uh, and others in the game. First off, is family. What does that even mean? Right is a is a family to a plant creature is that restricted to, you know, genetic relations? Is it uh is it broader? Right? Does it encompass a community or uh, an environment or ecosystem? Um, you know, where do they draw the line, and and what's important to a given creature? Yeah, like, do you make sprouts of yourself, and? Do you, what do you do with them? Do you just leave them where you were? Do you like plant them in a nice place and then move on? Are they your children or is there not that kind of bond? And also like we're hang I'm hanging around this party and look every spring like my gametes make you sneeze. I feel like that's a level of intimacy that most parties don't have. But <laughs> people get weirded out when I bring that up. I don't understand. That probably yeah. makes us family. Found family. At least I found. Exactly. I found you. You found my <laughs> mucus glands and irritated them. And then I think I think I think I like is when it comes to your interactions with other plants or other plant people. There is this tendency to want to you know lump them all together. Plants and fungi and whatever the natural world are all essentially the same thing and quote unquote on the same side, right? But. One thing that we know is that plants are in communication with each other and in competition with each other, right? For resources and sunlight, like you're not moving. You you have a very closed ecosystem and like it's essentially a, a homeowner's association that you've, you've got to deal with right. and you can't move, right? As an adventurer and as a like plant person with agency, how do you feel about other plants like maybe you're fine with these animals because you have a symbiotic relationship with animals but plants plants are the enemy yeah they'll just grow taller than you and outcompete you right i need to be taller that's why i'm a rune knight that's what the first thing i did was buy stilts (laughs) oh my god are they wooden stilts i can't believe that you're wearing my cousin i know it weirds me out too but you're wearing leather and you're basically a cow (laughs) sure I mean, right? No, I'm not wearing leather, but sure. I mean, that guy's a yak folk, so actually, that's true and inappropriate. All right. Uh, how do uh, plant folk uh, interact with other races, right? And I, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is like, you know, you have the elves, you have druids, uh, even some fae, right? Have relationships with natural environments um they might be gardeners or caretakers or you know protectors of this grove or things like that yeah i think 
an easy thing to do is sort of like in do an inversion in your head, right? So it makes a lot of sense to me that a plant person would group all mammals together or maybe, you know, all humanoids together pretty easily in the same way that I think, oh, trees in a forest, right? Elves, what's what's really the difference between like elves and dwarves and, you know, humans and uh, elephants. Oh, okay. I see. Elephants are different. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense because they don't talk, whatever. Right. Um, but then to not even necessarily even see those categories, but, but to have the categories that are important to you be based around action rather than, I don't know, nomenclature. Right. So like an elf who is an archer is very different from an elf who is like a, a wood singer. Right. And like it's the wood singer part that's much more important to me. And it doesn't, I don't care if you're an elf, right? Like if you were a gardener with a green thumb, I don't care really about your biology. My interaction with you is based on like you being good at taking care of me and things like me. Of course, then you eat plants, which is disgusting. Okay. Like I prefer carnivores because they at least are eating higher on the food chain which is appropriate around me. The corpses of my friends inhabit your soup, you know? Yeah, that's horrible. Let's keep going. All right, so then what are some reasons that a plant person might be an adventurer? Hey, if you grew up in one forest, in one grove, in one garden, maybe you want to see the world. Whatever see means for your people. Yeah, wanderlust. To flip that, maybe you wanted to stay in one place like you were meant to, but can't. There's a fire or an evil druid or or the encroachment of the encroachment of civilization. That's why I'm here to destroy these cities one stone at a time. And the best way to do that is to be with his adventuring party, because through their bumbling, they will definitely cause chaos and mayhem. <laughs> Correct. And it could just be your nature. Yes, most plants that we think of as plants um, are rooted in one place, but we also know that the entire world is full of traveling plants. Maybe you're a Kelpie, a seaweed person from uh, 3.5? I, I don't remember. One of those. There, It was a D&D thing in the, in the day. Okay. Because, yeah, I don't remember that from Stormrack. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's definitely one of those names where it's like, ah, oh, feels like a racial slur or at least an in-game racial slur but i guess that's the name all right so what are some classes that fit for plant creatures the stereotypical stuff nature oriented spellcasters or physical characters right like melee characters especially if you're like a tree type or an ent or whatever right and you can just really get in there it probably is easy to just lean way into type yeah makes sense you can also do the opposite and totally play against type. That means that you can do things like, you know, play a spellcaster who doesn't mind being in melee, right? And you still lob your spells or you take combat oriented or like attack focused spells and you just stand in melee. And as long as you can avoid like a fireball, right? Fire specifically, then you can wail away and mostly not worry about getting hurt too much because you can handle it or grow it back. So when we think about skills that apply to plant creatures, obviously nature feels like a no-brainer. You can also try to step outside the skill list of whatever game you're playing 
you probably, you know, talk to GM or whatever, but at least in terms of like RP, right, you may have abilities based on your physiology, right? So maybe you're good at perception mechanically speaking, but the reason for that is because you're sensitive to pheromones, both of animals and and plants, right? Or, you know, the special way that you quote unquote see, even though you don't have eyes, makes you good at, you know, sensing ultraviolet light. Or you can communicate with ants because that is your whole deal. And, you know, they nest in your branches and keep aphids away from you, right? Right. And then in most games, you're going to have you know, magic items uh, or loot in general, the things that you're probably going to want to focus on are to shore up your weaknesses. Like if you're playing not a quote-unquote normal humanoid that the game probably was originally designed for, then mechanically speaking, you're going to have um, like positives and negatives, right? You are going, you're, you are, almost definitely are going to come with some inbuilt weaknesses. Maybe that's a fire thing, even if it's not necessarily appropriate. Yeah, you'll probably be hardier, but find things to shore up those weaknesses, right? Like fire resistance, find things that increase your mobility. Um, If you don't need to eat, but you have been saddled with a thing where like on cloudy days, you're starving, which like shouldn't be the case, but you know how games get, find a way to get around that, you know? So are there any plant-only items? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, there are no, canonically right now, no, at least in 5th edition D&D, no plant races that you can play. There's like the Staff of the Woodlands, which I think is like really thematic and is druid-based. The In a lot of other games, you're probably going to have more options, especially ones that are that are not so like prescribed as D and D, Pathfinder Two specifically has like at least leshies, multiple kinds of leshies um, that are you know plant people or plants inhabited by nature spirits, which are essentially plant people, right? Um, so yeah, there are there are things that only they can use, or or that you know in terms of story would be things that only you can use but but in general i think this is a good opportunity to talk to your gm and like get some story-based items and and a little bit of spotlight so i think if you're gonna play a plant creature you have a lot of options right like there's a there's a huge amount of distance between treant uh myconid and dryad right which sort of cover all the bases of like big melee bruiser uh weird little fungus person um, who doesn't even really have a face and Fay, right? Um, face spellcaster most likely. Uh, but I think even if you pick one of those, but you know, go go beyond that and those stereotypes, and like really just take a deep dive into Wikipedia on the weird stuff that plants do, so that it can inform the weird stuff that you can do both in terms of physical abilities and just your interaction with your environment and other players and their characters, right? Like you have a great opportunity to really weird people out in cool ways that become both endearing and uh, confusing. 
<laughs> and if you're having to do a little bit of research on plants, might also end up educational, which everyone will hate. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Somehow, even though I don't have ears. Well, that sound means one thing. It's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building Groot. Are you up to date on your MCU? I don't know if that's, I forget if that's your thing or not. I am Groot. There, you know, you know everything you need to know, basically. I am Groot. Um, I am Groot. So I, I, I am Groot. And, and of course, that means that I am a Flora Colossus, an extraterrestrial tree person. Uh, both from the MCU and comics, we're uh, going for the, in general the MCU vibe because that is a nicely contained iteration of the character, right? That we can probably do in in Five E. Uh, Groot is very strong, has a lot of endurance and durability, has a bit of a regenerative healing factor, sort of has like a plasticity thing in which they're able to like elongate their branches and also grow to to large size if necessary pretty much instantaneously and there's some ability to manipulate and control plants in the immediate environment i think it's interesting that you (laughs) you kind of glossed over his uh near immortality as regeneration and healing factor (laughs) ah so so that's interesting if you want to do the thing where hey, every time I die, I don't really die. I come back as a sapling. To me, that's more like a story thing. Just talk to your GM. And it's not at all game breaking to be like, I have a character who like doesn't die permanently, right? Right. Yeah, no, Um, I agreed. But there are are some options if you want to like try to play that out mechanically. But we'll get there in a sec. Okay, so what's the build? Base build is Earth Genasi Rune Knight Fighter 7 Nature Cleric 2. All right. Now, Earth Genasi is not a good race. Uh-huh. <laughs> we've, we've been through it. It's originally from uh, Temple of Elemental Evil, um, but it's nicely thematic. Uh, you could also go Warforged if, if you really want, but there's some... There's some things I don't love about like the whole interaction with armor. Uh, but Earth Genasi, you can be medium or small. So like, look, if you did die and you want to be a young Groot, you can just be small, right? Uh, you get Dark Vision. The thematic ones here, you get Earth Walk. You can move across difficult terrain without expending extra movement uh, if you're using your walking speed on the ground uh, or or a floor. And that that just means... You know, you dig your roots into the ground and then why, like nothing impedes your movement. Right. Yep. Uh, and then you also get the ability to, well, no. They call it Merge with Stone. It lets you cast Blade Ward a few times. That is not particularly good, but it does let you mimic 
Groot's hardiness, right? Um, he is basically like, you know, a giant, super powerful tree. So look, if you need to stand there in the middle of a dinner party and someone's going to stab you, you can blade warden, you know, get resistance to it. It's, it's not really going to be useful in, in combat. Uh, but at level five, you do get pass without trace, which makes a lot of sense for a person who is a tree digging roots in. And then, you know, as your foot moves away, you like leave no trace of of where you stepped. Yep. I like that. Uh, so Rune Knight um, fighter is going to get you, you know, extra attack, uh, action surge, like those abilities that make you good in melee. And that is basically how Groot fights. Um Rune Knight does the thing where you can instantaneously become much bigger. At level three, proficiency bonus times per day, you can become large. If you take this even further, then eventually you could become huge. That's not necessary here, but you can do it. And then you get rune options. The good ones I like are frost and stone. Uh, those are going to give you, um, they're going to help you with like strength based uh, checks. And then at level seven, you'll be able to pick up the hill rune. Uh, which gives you constantly advantage on saving throws against being poisoned and resistance to poison, which of course makes sense because you are a big tree. Um, nice. And then, well, as a on. bonus action, what? Hang on, <laughs> tree poison's a thing. As the oh sure, uh, but Harvey, does that rogue have tree poison? Harvey Updike, or does that rogue have arsenic? Well, fair enough, but uh, you know, don't ask, uh, don't ask Auburn about that. I you know I think it's absolutely fair if someone concocts poison that only works on trees and it only hurts you. Totally fair. <laughs> I mean that's like you, you mean pest or uh, pesticide? pesticide uh, <laughs> it's Roundup. Yeah, you mean Roundup weed killer? <laughs> I'm uh I am Roundup resistant and genetically modified to be Roundup resistant. <laughs> Great. Uh, and then and then once per rest as a bonus action you can gain resistance to bludgeoning piercing and slashing damage for a minute with the hill rune so again if you want to be um extremely hardy uh that's what that is for the other thing is i think pretty much right away i take a feat martial adept which gives you access to two martial maneuvers i like lunging attack which lets you increase your reach by five feet by spending a die. That, of course, is the thing that Groot does, right? Where, like, you know, the the branch extends very far and he can like, swat somebody far away. And then trip attack is also good. Yeah, he gets a little Mr. fantastic sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then trip attack, I think, is another good one. I mean, you can take pretty much whatever you want, but, you know, trip attack lets you spend that die to uh, knock people over, which is, you know, taking that arm and just, like, sweeping the leg right? like he likes to do. Uh, Nature Cleric, we're really here for the channel divinity, charm, plants, and animals, uh, which is the uh, plant control that uh, Groot shows. As spending your channel divinity lets you charm the plants and animals within within 30 feet of you. You can't you don't direct control over them, which is fine. That's a much higher level ability, but it does make them all friendly to you. And you know, if if they want to, then they will help you, which is, you know, about all of the actual help that you see Groot get from, you know, plants in the vicinity when, you know, he uses that ability in the movies anyway. 
Um, and then you can reflavor things like cure wounds as regener regenerative healing factor. And you could do it in, in combat, although most of Groot's healing happens sort of like, you know, in between right. battles or off screen. And then a couple of alternate options. Like I said, you could go Warforged. Um, it's probably mechanically a little bit more powerful than Earth Genasi, um, but maybe a little less flavorful. And the other thing you can tack on to this is if you want to go three levels or more of Zealot Barbarian, one, that's strong and not a bad idea at all. Um, it gives you some extra damage uh, once per round. But at level three, you uh, if you die and someone brings you back from the dead, then they don't need to spend any material components. That means that Revivify doesn't need to use that diamond. If someone raises you from the dead, they just need to be able to cast the spell. They don't need to be able to like actually pay for, I, I forget what the material component is, but I think it's like you know, a thousand gold pieces, which right. is hard to come by. I would, if you have a stickler GM, I would use this to mimic the like, I come back, right? Groot always comes back if I die. You know, just talk to them and be like, look, there's no mechanical difference between me saying like, okay, a party member resurrected me and it didn't cost them anything, right? Or just being like, here's the cost for a fifth level spell scroll. Deduct that from my earnings and just say I came back to life and now I, I don't also need to pay like the 1,000 to 25,000 gold pieces, right? It's something you could do on your own if you really want to be like self-sufficient in the whole immortality thing. Mm -hmm. if necessary. Well, if you're going to be Im immortal, you should also be self-sufficient. That's what I always say. I do not disagree with you. Well. And now, one thing, fun thing you could do is though, if you do die and you come back as like baby Groot or teen Groot or whatever, you could be a totally different build. You could just be, instead of room knight, because you, you know, baby Groot doesn't become large size, right? You could just go battle master and you can still do all the tripping and the lunging and all of that, right? Like that might be fun to just sort of like respec until you grow back into your like normal old abilities. Oh yeah. No, I like that a lot. All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. Well, that's it for episode 339 of Total Party Thrill. I hope lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Groot. And I'm Groot. I'm Groot. I'm Groot.